And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. All right. Hey, Providence, would you, uh, would you pray with me to, to get started? Father, we do come to you now uh, expectant. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. And so would you send your spirit this morning? Would you uh, convict us? Would you encourage us? Uh, whatever it is that you need to do. God, we pray um, that we would have sharp minds and soft hearts as we approach your word this morning. Uh, And would you use it not to just give information to your church, but to uh, enhance the worship of your church. Would you help us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Providence, Jesus wants your heart. Did you know that this morning? When you walked in the room this morning, did you know that Jesus right now wants your heart? You know, we've been going through this series in the Gospel of Mark for on and off since the fall. And what we've seen over and over and over again through these stories is that uh, when we look at who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, we're repeatedly told that the only right proper response to who Jesus is, is to give him our heart. It's uh, more or less kind of the core of what it means to be a disciple. The discipleship is this aspect of letting him lead you, being more in love with Jesus, having your affections more tied up into Jesus, and to follow him because he has your heart. I think it's good for us to kind of examine every now and then just looking at our hearts. And I think that's what we're going to do this morning. Just kind of look at where are our hearts. Because the things that we uh, love, the things that we value, the things that we worship and give our hearts to really are at the core of who we are. And what I love is that throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've seen story after story help show that Jesus oftentimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, he'll, he'll look at a situation and he kind of bypasses the external, kind of on the surface thing, and he so often goes straight to the heart. He'll ask a question or he'll say something that just cuts through and gets to the heart. You know, I think it's because Jesus doesn't just solely want your external morality. He, he doesn't just want your kind of begrudging submission. He, he doesn't want any sort of lip service. Jesus wants your heart. And I think it's important because for us, I think it's very easy to do a lot of things and still have our hearts far from Jesus. 
Have you ever noticed this in yourself? Like you could be here in a church service week in and week out and still have very little love for Jesus. You you could do a lot of social good in our city, tons of great things for people, and your heart could be very far from Jesus. You could be a really good, stand-up, just solid American citizen and not have your heart anywhere near Jesus. And I think the Bible's going to say, well, a lot of that stuff, that's good things, good things to do, that more than that, Jesus wants your heart. And so if you've got a Bible, go Mark chapter 12, if you're not there yet. It's the very end of Mark 12. And what we're going to see, if you, if you noticed it through Jenna's reading, there, there's kind of two stories that we're going to look at. The first one, uh, he's going to look at a group of people's hearts and he's actually going to condemn them. He's gonna, we're going to see a negative example of people's hearts. The second story is we're going to see a positive example. We're going to see a good example where Jesus commends someone's heart. And my hope for us this morning is that while we look at these stories, uh, we would be fairly reflective and just evaluate where our heart is, uh, where we might uh, still be far from Jesus. And so let's look, Mark chapter 12, I'm going to start just at the beginning of verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. Now, before we get into what he actually says here, we should ask the question, who are the scribes? Right? So anytime you're reading through the Bible, if you see a group of people like this, you should just quickly ask, who are these people? Right? Now, so the scribes are one of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And the interesting thing is, while if you read through the Gospels, you'll hear uh, people like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, right? These groups of people, they're split based on uh, some sort of theology. So basically, they're still a part of the Jewish people. They just interpret things a little bit differently. Certain doctrines, they're a little bit different. It's somewhat maybe vaguely kind of like how we have denominations, right? We're all you know, maybe Christians, but we have different beliefs on certain things. Well, the scribes are not split because of their theology. They're split because of their role. So to be a scribe doesn't mean a certain theology. It's a certain role that you have. And so the scribes had the job of writing down the Old Testament. Right, so you think 2,000 years ago, we don't have uh, mass Bibles everywhere, right? So it was their job to write this down so we could keep passing on the Old Testament generation after generation. Now, while you were a scribe, you actually couldn't get paid for that job. So while other religious leaders, could, you, you couldn't be paid. You didn't have a salary for this. So to make money, the scribes had to do one of two things. You either uh, are bivocational, so you work a full-time job, you do something else for a living, and then you try to do this on the side. Or, if somebody would gift you a salary, then you could just spend all your time writing uh, these copies of the Old Testament. So you couldn't take money from the the temple or the actual religious system, but if somebody wanted to just give you uh, a salary, then they could do that. So hang on to that, that'll come back. In a minute, but that is kind of the the scribes. And as we get into this, I think that 
well, maybe let's, we need to remember quickly the, um, you know, when we think of the religious leaders, so you see, you know, beware of the scribes. Maybe one of the first things that come to our minds often is like the people that Jesus doesn't like, right? Like the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, any religious leader, Jesus always seems to have a problem with them. And while that's somewhat true, I want to just remind us why Jesus has an issue with them. You see, you never really, as you go through the Gospels, he rarely has a, an issue just with their theology. Or he doesn't really ever blame them, saying, you've got this debaucherous, like, wild lifestyle, right? You're just these wicked, evil people. No, he almost always critiques their motivations, right? He doesn't always critique. I mean, they're good people. Writing down the Old Testament so people have the Word of God, that's a good thing. Like, being a religious leader for God's people that's a good thing. He oftentimes isn't upset with what they're doing, but why they're doing it. He's always going to kind of get back to the heart. And so as we remember that, let's look at what he says to these scribes. So in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. So I think what we're going to see here throughout this section is that um, Jesus, when he's talking about the scribes, I think he's going to show us three faulty heart motivations. We're going to see three, he's going to look at the heart and he's going to show us three faulty heart motivations for these religious leaders. And from those verses, I think the first motivation that they have is pride. We look at verses 38 and 39, I think we see their pride. So look at what he says. He, he says that these scribes like to walk around in long robes. Now what he's talking about is they, they actually had different clothing than the common Jews. So they had these really big, elegant, kind of outlandish like robes. And you could spot them out from anywhere. Like you knew this was a scribe because they had these long flowing robes. And what Jesus is saying is they love walking around like this. They loved that they could be two blocks away and you could spot there's a scribe over there. There's honor, there's respect because they've got these outlandishly long and elegant robes. The second thing is he says they love the greetings in the marketplaces. So also what would happen is as they would walk through kind of the town or the temple or the marketplaces, they would go through and every kind of common Jew had to show some sort of respect to them. So you either had to stand when they kind of walked in or you had to bow or shake their hand or something. You had to do something to show that you're giving them honor. He says they love it. They love walking into the, the marketplace and everyone say, oh, Mr. Scribe, Mr. Scribe, right? Like, they just love this sense of they are a little bit better than everybody else. And he ends, he says, they get the best seats in the synagogues and at feasts. So in their, in their place of worship, there was actually a designated few seats for the most honorable people. And so the scribes loved getting those seats. Because it highlighted to everyone else, while you might have been pretty good before they walked in, now that they're there, you kind of get knocked down a little bit. You don't get those seats. Those seats are for the scribes. When they go to the, the wedding reception, right, they don't get stuck at the very last table, right? They're not the ones where it takes you like, 
three hours to actually get to go to the buffet? Have you been there? Like, that's not there. There's the one where the room is like full. And so they set a table like right next to the bathroom. And so it stinks and you're hungry and you just feel like nobody likes you. That's, that's not the scribes, right? They don't get those seats. They're, I mean, head table and them, ahead of the family. It's, they get the best places wherever they go. And Jesus is saying they love this stuff. I think Jesus is showing here that these scribes, yeah, they're doing good things. All those things aren't necessarily wrong. They were supposed to wear these robes. The, the, the people were supposed to give them honor. They, they were supposed to have good seats. He's not saying that the things they're doing are wrong, but their heart is being drawn to them because of pride. They're not carrying out these religious good deeds because they have a heart for God or for people. They just love the attention. They love the affirmation. So first he calls them out for pride. But then he says a little phrase where I think we're going to see their greed. So first pride, next greed. Look at this little phrase. He says in verse 40, uh, the scribes who devour widows' houses. So what does it mean that they devour widows' houses? Well, remember what I said before about how they earned money. So scribes were not wealthy people because they couldn't earn money from what their main job was. And so they just kind of had to scrape by unless they could convince people to give them money. And so oftentimes what would happen in this day is that people were seeing the scribes were actually getting quite wealthy. There were many scribes that were some of the wealthiest of all the religious leaders, which is exactly opposite of what was supposed to happen because they continued to just take more and more money from more and more people. And what would happen is the very people that they were called to protect, that they were called to love, that they were called to care for, the lowly in the society, the ones that needed help like widows, were giving all this money to them just to kind of fill this greed, and they were devouring their lives. Their lives were being crushed because they were giving to these scribes when they didn't need it. They just needed more. They just wanted more and more and more. They weren't living generously and out of a heart for these widows and for others. They were just taking as much as they could get. And then I think we see a third one that's tied into this. And I think the third one is hypocrisy. We see pride and greed and then hypocrisy. So look at verse 40. He says, They devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. So here's kind of how this would play out. The scribes would kind of have a woe is me, poor me, I don't have any money kind of mentality. And because of their greed, they would start to get all this money. What would happen is they'd kind of make this transactional deal with people. And they would say, look, if you would be nice to me, if, just, you, know, if you would just give me a little bit of money, I'll say an extra long prayer for you. Right? And since I'm a scribe, like I've got a direct you know, earway to God. I mean, it's just like he knows my prayers and he acts on my prayers. So I, I would just, I mean, if you just give me a little bit of money and then I won't have to work and I can spend all my time praying for you. And what would happen is they are telling people that they'll pray for them, that they'll care for them, that they'll love them, all the while having a heart very far from God. They were complete hypocrites in making these long, elaborate prayers for the people while they're devouring them financially. 
You see, their greed drove them to this hypocrisy where their external lives looked nothing like their internal hearts. And I think what's maybe most scary about this whole passage, you see their pride and their greed and this hypocrisy where they look great praying for hours when their hearts are far from God. And Jesus ends the section saying this, they will receive the greater condemnation. Why would the, the good religious guys receive the greater condemnation? I think it's because Jesus wants your heart. You know, these guys are the good ones. They're not the ones living crazy lives. They're the religious people. And Jesus is saying they're going to receive a greater condemnation. Because Jesus wants your heart. They were using this position to boast their appearance, to get recognition and to get flattery, to get wealthy. And all the while, their hearts were far from God. Their actions were close to God and their hearts were very far from God. So I wonder if as you're hearing this, you hear about pride and greed and hypocrisy, if anything comes to mind maybe in your life, where you see maybe my actions are maybe even good, but my heart motivation behind it is prideful, is greedy. I'm acting like a hypocrite because I look one way on the outside and on the inside, I'm totally different. Let me be honest with you guys this morning. Uh, There's some weeks when you preach that are just a little bit tougher than other ones for various reasons. And this week was a little bit tough for me um, because as I look at this passage, I keep thinking to myself, I'm a religious leader in our society, right? I'm a pastor of a church. I'm, I'm like one of these guys. And as I'm reading him talk about the heart of his religious leaders, um, I had to have a few moments where I just had to confess to Jesus. And so let me just share with you a little bit uh, of my week as I'm working through this. Uh, I began to just reflect and just ask, God, where's my heart like the scribes? Where am I doing good things sinfully? And I think one of the biggest things was God just kept bringing up uh, over the last year in this church plant, just kind of story after story where I remember my heart just being wicked. Uh, I remember times where I would uh, evangelize or I would do some sort of training or I would write something. And if I can be honest, I did not really care about the people I was doing that for. I just wanted people to know that I was doing it. Right? I mean, I I had moments this year um, where (laughs) there was times I I remember inviting people, trying to to get people to come to Providence. and, And when they didn't show up, I just had these thoughts of like, don't they know that like Providence is better? Like, like we set up this great church. Why are they so dumb? Like they're not coming. This is ridiculous. And, and to me, I had this idea of anybody would be lucky to be at Providence. And it was wicked. I mean, I've had times where honestly, I've had conversations with some of you. I've preached sermons up here. I've done so many things. And I'll be honest, my heart just didn't really care about you. I mean, it just, it just didn't. I just wanted to do something good or I wanted to just get something done. And so I spent time this week just confessing this to Jesus and I just felt like I had to say to all of you uh, that I'm sorry. 
I have been a really bad pastor at times. I have not been very loving towards you, and in my heart has not been very close to Jesus at times in this church plant. And it has come at the cost of you. And so I am deeply and honestly sorry for my heart oftentimes being far from Jesus. And um, as I was thinking about this week, I, I just kept wondering, I'm like, man, where might that, where might that be for you? Something that you're doing in your life where you just, if you were brutally honest with yourself, you could say, I really didn't care about God or other people in that moment. I was completely prideful, completely greedy, completely hypocritical. You know, I think there's a few that, that stood out to me this week. I, I think um, one of the hardest things in the church uh, is just having places of leadership. Right? And so, so just think about for a little bit, would, would you be okay, honestly, if, if you never got the official titer, title of a leader of something? If you never got to touch the stage again? If, if nobody ever came up to you and shook your hand and said, thank you so much, you're doing such a great job at whatever, would you be okay with that? Would your heart still serve and do it with joy, even with absolutely no recognition? What about when, you, um, when we do good things, right? When we uh, give to a homeless person, when you pray for somebody who's hurting, when you share the gospel with somebody, when you walk away from that moment, what is your heart saying to you? Are you pretty pumped and jazzed because you did that thing, right? You feel a little bit better about yourself. You feel good that that happened. Or is your heart just completely stirred because Jesus was just glorified in that moment? I don't know, oftentimes, my heart is just pretty glad that I did the thing, right? Let me give you one more. Uh, I think this happens in the world. A lot of it can happen in the church too. But if you were to reflect on the, the people that you talk to, the people that you're around, the, the, the times that you either spend here in your groups or just in your life, how much is your heart driven to only kind of talk to the people who are maybe influencers? Maybe people who have something to give back. Maybe the funniest or the smartest or the easiest to talk to. You ever notice your heart really doesn't want to spend time with the people who maybe don't have anything to offer? Maybe drain you more than they give you life? Maybe if people see you always with them, you're going to miss out on being with the other kind of influencers or the cool people or the powerful people? I think our hearts are plagued with these things. We're plagued by pride and greed and hypocrisy. And I think from this story, Jesus wants us to know that he's not interested just in your external actions. He's interested in your heart. He wants your heart to be after him. So that's the, that's the negative example. We look at the scribes. But then he switches and he's going to give us another story of a, of a positive example. He's going to commend somebody now. So look at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So if 
if you've been reading with us, the last two chapters, Jesus has kind of been in and out of the temple. So he's been in the temple, he's been teaching a lot, he'll go out, he's just teaching constantly for the last couple days. And so Jesus just kind of, it seems like he just kind of gets tired. And so he just goes and he sits, he takes a break. Now, if you read that first couple sentences, it might seem a little bit weird, right? Like we get the image of Jesus like sitting at our connection table, just staring at the giving box, like watching people come and put in their money and kind of judging them. But it really isn't quite that weird. So how the, the temple is set up is that it's a massive place and there's different courts or different rooms uh, for different people. And so uh, there's certain stages where certain people could go and certain people uh, couldn't. And so in one of the busiest places, the place where almost anybody could go, that's where all of the offering boxes were. Right? They put all those there so that almost anybody could go and offer their gifts to God. And so this was also then just naturally the busiest place. So this is where most of the people were. And if you were going to sit down in the temple, This is probably just where you would sit, and it would just so happen to be that there's numerous giving boxes around. And so it doesn't seem that strange. He's just sitting. I mean, imagine kind of a like a food court at the mall. There's some people who are getting food. Some people are just walking by. Some people are sitting and talking. And then just imagine Jesus kind of sitting in the middle, people watching. That's essentially what is just happening here. It's fairly common. And as he's sitting there, he sees person after person coming and just giving these large amounts. Just these rich people coming and they're giving their gifts to God, which is awesome. He doesn't condemn that one bit. But then comes a poor widow and she puts in two small copper coins. Now in your footnotes to your Bible, you may, it may try to say you know, what, how much this is actually worth and what all these words mean. Uh, essentially, these two coins equal like a fraction of a penny. I mean, not even really a penny. I mean, it's like a fraction of a penny. And so uh, imagine again, with our giving box, you see somebody who just walks up with a penny and drops it in. Now, I mean, what's going to go through your mind? Probably thinking like, is a little odd, right? It's like I could throw this in the trash can or the giving box. I guess I'll put it in the giving box, right? I mean, it's, it's basically insignificant. I mean, we just don't even, we don't even think about it. Well, what's Jesus' response? Look at verse 43. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Uh, my, my wife and I, we have a three-month-old baby or so right now, and he's kind of right at the stage where he's starting to become aware of things a little bit, so he's starting to actually do something for the f- first time in his life. And so, he, you know, he's kind of figuring firsts out, and he's doing all these little things. And so every once in a while, I'll be in, like, part of the house. This happened last night, actually. I'm in one part of the house, and my wife is with him, uh, and he'll do something kind of funny or different or something for the very first time. And all of a sudden I'll hear this, Andrew, Andrew, you got to come in here. You got to come in here. You got to see this. Look at what he's doing. This is so amazing, right? Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here, right? He's sitting here. He sees something that is so significant. He's like, hey, Peter, Peter, James, hey, you you guys got to get over here. Thomas, Bartholomew, you've got to check this out. So what's so important to Jesus that he gets all of his disciples, they're all just resting and he gets them all gathered up. What is he going to say? He says, you see that widow right there? Yeah, that poor widow, she just put more into that giving box than anyone else. 
You want to know, you want to know a big-time, generous giver? Look to the widow. Look to the one who just put in two small coins. Now, let's just be honest. Jesus, I don't think, is dumb here, right? Like, I know he's not a, probably a scholarly mathematician, but he is God, so I would assume that he could add, right? And, and he's sitting here seeing people give all this money, and then his little widow gives two coins. In what world, using what measuring stick, would a fraction of a penny be more than thousands of dollars, I think it's only possible when you're measuring sacrifice and not sum. Right? When you're not looking at the sum of the gift, but the sacrifice of the gift. When you're not just looking at the external amount given, but the internal heart posture. And Jesus says this in verse 44. Look, he says, For they all contributed out of their abundance... But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Jesus is impressed. He's calling her out here. He's commending her, saying that she gave more using the metrics of sacrifice and not some. Using the metrics of not looking at the external, but looking at the internal heart posture of generosity. What was Jesus focused on? The heart. Jesus wants your heart. Look, this woman, she gave everything that she had, trusting that God would provide everything that she would need. She gave everything she had, trusting that God was going to provide everything that she would need. And he's commending here the exact opposite thing that he was condemning in the last section. These people that did great things externally were amazing, yet their hearts were far from God. He says, this widow, who does something externally rather insignificant, but he commends her because her heart is fully wrapped up in trust in God. There was a, there was a commentator I read this week. And he brought up an interesting note. He said, you know, throughout the Gospel of Mark, maybe you've noticed this, um, Mark is very vague. Like, he doesn't give you tons of details. And so it would seem like Mark to just say she gave, you know, this amount or something. Very, very little. But Mark was very specific. He said she had two of these little coins. And he said, I wonder if Mark is trying to get across the punch that if she gave one of those fraction of a penny, there's not one person who would say that is not generous of her. Or she's got two little things she's got to live on. If she were to give one, that would be generous. But Mark says she gave both. <laughs> she's got these two little coins and she gives both. Mark is trying to emphasize the point that she gave everything she had to God, trusting that he would provide everything that she would need. Right, and you see in the very last phrase, of the section, she said, or it says that she gave all that she had to live on. It can be translated that she gave her life right there. She gave all of her life in that moment at that giving box. And part of me wonders if Jesus sitting there watching this widow giving 
all of herself in trust to God, if he was not thinking about what would happen in just a matter of two or three days, you know, from, from this point, in just a couple days, Jesus is actually going to give up his life. Even more than the widow, he would actually, in trusting the Father, he would give his life and die. You know, John said, in John's gospel, Jesus says that nobody will take my life. Jesus says, nobody will take my life, but I give my life. So nobody took this from me. I came to give my life. And in doing so, he is trusting the Father that not only will he be raised again from the dead in three days, but that through his sacrifice, God could now provide for all the people who have trust in him. You see this, that because Jesus died on the cross, he became the provision for all of us. That if our trust is in God, if we give him our heart and our life, because of what Jesus did, we're fully provided for. We have everything that we might need. I I love that, you know, we talk about this idea of Jesus wants your heart. The question I I think maybe you should ask is, well, is he deserving of my heart, right? If I'm going to tell you, give everything to him, does he deserve it? Yeah, because what he's about to do. Because he went to the cross so that he could have your heart. He went to the cross to completely cover all your sin, all the wrongdoings, give you honor and power so that you could have life and him losing his life. And I love in Ephesians, Paul says that in Christ, we have everything. We have every spiritual blessing. Everything that you need is yours in Christ. So even more than the widow, we are free to give anything. We're free to give anything we have because in Christ we have everything we need. We're free to give anything. Like there's nothing that you can outgive that what Christ has not already given you. He is everything. He is God's provision so that we can lay ourselves down and give it all to God. And so... To end, I just wonder, would you consider and reflect again, does Jesus have your heart? I mean, does Jesus truly have your heart? As you look at your life, is it wrapped up continuously, living out of pride and greed and hypocrisy? Or does Jesus have your heart? Because what we've seen in these two stories is that more than the external, Jesus wants your heart. And so let me end just with two quick um, exhortations. I just want to encourage us through both of these sections. Um, The first one, in regards to our heart motivations behind the good things we do, right, like the scribes. As we look at this, I, I want to just encourage you this week to do two things. First, would you confess where your heart is like the scribes. As you see this, you see their pride and their greed and their hypocrisy. Wherever you notice that in your life, would you confess that? I mean, brutally, honestly, confess. 
Maybe to, to somebody here this morning, maybe to a family member or someone in your city group or huddle, would you just get that out and just say, this is what I've been doing from this heart motivation. And the second thing, would, would you repent? Right? So repentance is different in that to repent is actually to turn. It's actually to, to live differently. It was you were doing this and now you turn and do something else. And as you confess your heart motivation, would you repent? Would, you, would we actually walk away from the thing that our heart is always drawn to? So, for example, if, if, if your heart has this desire to be recognized, desire to be looked at as something special or validated, and so uh, you can't really do anything without telling somebody about it or using social media as your platform to kind of give a persona, would you delete your social media? Right? Would, you, would you kill the patterns that you have that are being driven by pride? I mean, Jesus has harsh words here for people who live in this way. Would you experience that you have everything in Christ and would you repent from needing validation or approval or more money? Would we confess and repent? Secondly, um, in terms of the last passage, in regards to our heart motivations in giving. Um, I guess I would just ask this morning, would you evaluate and reflect on in your heart uh, how you view money? Right? I mean, how you view money. I think there's a couple ways we can err. On one side, we just avoid it. Right? We just don't think about it. We spend it. We save it. We do whatever we want. And we just kind of don't even think about money. The other side, people like me, are a little bit too uh, clingy to their money, right? That, that we think, man, if I only I worked a few more hours, if only I picked up one other side job, if only I did one more thing, if only I could get a little bit more money in another way, if we're just consumed with money. What if we had a, a, a biblical view, which I think is somewhere in the middle? Well, what if we had a biblical view where we would say money isn't evil, money isn't bad, it's not something to just completely avoid. In fact, it can be used really well. But what if we also had the posture of, we read where Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, don't desire to be rich. <laughs> don't strive after this, for I have seen many fall away because of this. I think in our culture especially, it is so easy for our hearts to get wrapped up in money. What if we didn't see it as some sort of security or status for us? But what if we used it, we made money so that we could give generously. Like this lady, what if we could say, I'm going to make money if God provides that, and I'm going to give it. I'm going to see the kingdom of God move forward through radical generosity. I think one of the hardest things in, for Americans in terms of money is that it has become where we place our faith. I think that oftentimes a lack of, um, or too much of a heart towards money is oftentimes a sign of a lack of faith in God. If we could just have more money, we'd be happier, we'd be more secure, we'd be more stable. All the things that God says he's provided to you in Christ. So if we have this biblical view where we made money and we gave radically as a people. Because I think that, that all those external things, some are good, some are bad. But Jesus is more focused on the heart. And Jesus wants you to know this morning that you are fully validated fully approved of, and you are fully stable and secure in Christ. Let me pray.
Father, we are so grateful that you would send your son for us, that that the people that walk in pride and greed and hypocrisy, the people that love validation from man, the people that love um, the security or the things that money provides, that the people that walk in um, hypocrisy, God, that you would come for us, that you would save us, that Jesus, in just a matter of days from this story, you would lay your life down so you could win our hearts back. God, I pray that we would uh, believe that, that we would experience that. God, would your spirit right now free us um, from all of the, whatever it is that our heart motivations tend towards, would you free us from that by the power of your spirit even now in this moment? God, would you help us to repent and find that that there's freedom and life when we live uh, with our hearts given to you instead of to any of these things of the world. God, would you do this in us? This is not natural for us, and we need your help. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.